You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Hey friends, welcome to episode 203 of American Sex. Okay, so what do you get when in a BDSM conference ballroom, that's the bull, go with my whole analogy, you mix one part, Melina Lee Williams Haas, and about, I don't know, 50 or so parts of other humans lined up near out the door to connect one-on-one with Melina, the key ingredient in our post keynote speech leather conference cake I, I don't know it I was really trying to keep with the whole recipe metaphor thing it was it was good right I was trying to keep it going but it it was falling apart it was, I tried I tried it was like I, I tried but I had no baking soda it fell apart anyway what you get is all the generational healing, you know, an impromptu passing of the torch, uh, reinvigorated and re-energized to make kinky uh, leather, sex-positive spaces, and related chosen families even better. And bonus, which icing on the cake. <laughs> Uh, we, you and I, you know, we get the same thing, but through the butterfly wing ripple effects that all of that magic has created. We get to have our cake and eat it too. (laughs) Oh God, I need to stop. I need to stop. Anyway, Melina shares with us the transformative power that she unexpectedly unleashed when she reluctantly at the time popped back into the leather and BDSM community after not being around for a while. You know, for many years, this community was her very accepting chosen family. But like family often does, at least for some of us, it just kept doing her dirty, you know, and not in the fun, kinky way. And then she slowly disconnected, disengaged, and didn't really feel like she resonated with that community anymore. But this one chance instance at this one event was different. And it taught her a lot about how much communities can change and grow and how much we as people change and grow. And of course, in true Melina fashion, yes, this is kind of a personal story, but she unearthed the life lessons and the grander revelations about how her experience taps into like more than just, hey, this is a cool story. 
But her takeaways are transferable to you, to me, to them, to, to everyone, and, and how we do or don't interact with the kink community, and also really any community, because this is one of those transferable life lessons. When you boil communities down to their lowest common denominators, a lot of times the trials and tribulations of those communities are very similar at their core. Uh, you know, the dynamics and, you know, especially now it's the 2020s America. We're all at the same time going through some shit. Like we are sharing the dysfunction. So grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, because this conversation between Melina and myself is one of those, right? Like you are more than just a fly on a wall. And and I mean, unless you're into being a fly on a wall, like then get on with your bad self, buzz, buzz. I, I promise I won't, you know, smash you. Unless again, unless you want, it's a whole thing. Anyway, you're gonna be right there with us in this conversation. It is a good one. And it's, it's good. And it's long, so long that it's a two parter. So yeah, you have got Melina for two American Sex Podcast episodes in a row. And I know y'all are jumping for joy. And if you're like, wait, everyone's jumping for joy. I haven't heard an episode with Melina yet. Uh, you are in for a treat. Oh my goodness. Let me let me tell you about Melina first. So Melina Lee Williams Haas is a delicate trembling flower of submission. That's a quote and a copyright. Uh, a New York City born and raised writer, actress, BDSM educator, storyteller, and sobriety fiend since March of 2007. Uh, she's also an award-winning executive pervert owned and collared by renowned contemporary composer Georg Frederick Haas since 2013, also his wife. Uh, she serves as his beloved slave, submissive wife, all the things, servant, muse. They have been featured in the New York Times. There was a documentary, a documentary, The Artist and the Pervert, about them. Go watch it. I think it's on Amazon Prime. I will try to find it and put it in the show notes. Uh, and Melina is always sought after in the media about her viewpoints on kink and BDSM. And I'm talking like big media, you know, New York Times level stuff, uh, Newsweek, Essence, NPR, you got it, all the things. Melina got into kink and BDSM in the 1990s. She's also a leather title holder which you'll hear about. And she's been a BDSM educator since the late 90s as well. Even speaks at like Harvard, Princeton, yeah, like the, the big, big, big stuff. Book author. Uh, there's lots of stuff. I'm just going to send you to the show notes to read Melina's beefy bio because she's also a child actor and like an adult actor. But Melina was in The Wiz, like he's on down the road and like America's Deadliest Home Video with Danny Bonaduce. Lots and lots of stuff. Her latest is Hyena, a film and a stage show, a collaboration with her husband. Yeah, just lots of stuff. Also, she was on my TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on our segment on race play. Melina is one of the foremost experts in all sorts of taboo plays, which we'll touch on in uh, our conversation as well. So lots of lots. Of, oh my God, I'm so, so excited. Uh, there's a couple things you may hear in the conversation. Because it's a two parter, I don't know where what part the context is. So I'm just like, you know, gonna just in case something's confusing, just give you a few pointers of things we talk about. So when Melina talks about their spouse Meister, that's her owner and husband, Georg, 
And Melina talks a lot about being a kink doula. It is uh, Melina's new... I don't even want to call it a business. I guess it's more of like incarnation, next step in life, because the awesomeness that is this woman can do the world a lot of good, like working out the really freaky shit that we fantasize about that we're too embarrassed to tell anyone about. Anyway, lots and lots of stuff. Before we get to that, however, we need to wash the balls real quick. Here we go. There's that ball washing noise. So uh, this is where I briefly tell you about other things we've got going on. In other words, it's what we call housekeeping here on American Sex. So I wanted to first give you a really quick recap on what I talked y'all's ear off about in in our last episode's intro, the one with Mike Stabile talking about Pornhub. And this is important, and it's time sensitive, and it it bears repeating and hearing again. And it's about censorship and about concerns over the so-called TikTok ban, aka the Resist Act, Senate Bill 686. It is still out there. So you may have heard like, oh, the bills that there's been a few TikTok bills, as of right now, the, the day this episode drops, the Restrict Act is still alive and kicking. And in a nutshell, this Restrict Act, if passed, uh, and it's got very strong bipartisan support, and it looks like it will pass, it gives the Secretary of Commerce the power with little to no checks and balances to, quote, take any action necessary, end quote, to shut down information and communications technologies, uh, products or services, anything, when they're connected to a foreign adversary of the United States. So, uh, oh, and, and also they, they quote, pose a undue and unacceptable risk to national security of the U.S. and U.S. citizens. So basically what that boils down to is it's almost or opens the door for a full-on ban of free use of the internet in the U.S., kind of like, you know, we're North Korea style. Like it's, uh, it allows for surveillance of home and personal devices, like home networks, game consoles, ring cameras, your apps, your websites, your email, like you name it. Uh, immediate shutdown or regulation of any app with over a million users without reason, cause, majority vote. Just like, oh, it's threatening, which we don't know what that means connected to. A what does that mean? And and if we're saying that's China, like we're so global in business now, could that be? And that's very ill-defined. And, you know, you're like, whatever, what the hell ever, we have VPNs. No, because if you try to get around it and use a VPN, you get up to a million dollar fine and up to 20 years in prison. And I'm not joking. So please, this is why I'm telling you about it. Contact all of your, your state representatives, your lawmakers. I will have links in the show notes how to do that. It's actually really, really easy to do. And I, I give you a few options, but there is support for this on all sides. You know, it's bipartisan. And just recently, a few more folks in the government are st standing up going, hey, wait a minute. Did y'all read this bill? So help. It's it's a lot. So I, I, that bears repeating. If you want some more detail, go back to our last episode with Mike Stabile and listen to my, my spiel. I kind of rhymed or alliterated or something uh, where I really get into the implications of the Restrict Act. Okay, with all that out of the way, just a couple more quick things. Uh, yeah, I love this conversation with Melina so much that we actually recorded it on video. If you're one of my patrons or one of Melina's patrons... 
If you're listening to this on episode drop day, like in a day or so, you you will get that video dropped to you. And it's both parts, part one and two, the whole conversation at once. Just a part of the perks of being either or both of Melina or my patrons. So if you want to find out more about that, the links to both of our Patreon pages are in the show notes, aka the episode description, in addition to all sorts of stuff, you know, things we talk about in the episode, our sponsor links, links to coupons and discounts and deals and freebies and all sorts of things. Oh, my free kink negotiation workbook, the link to our discord, come join us, all that stuff. And lastly, if you enjoy American sex, please tell your friends, tell your partners, tell the people at your local dungeon, whatever it is. And also consider leaving us a review too. We would love it. Uh, That's it. These balls are now clean. Squeaky, squeaky, sparkly, sparkly. Uh, Here is part one of my conversation with Melina Lee Williams-Haas about lessons from and about the leather BDSM community. I have been watching you on the sidelines. That makes you sound creepy. Like this is like an episode of Netflix is you. I've been watching you, Melina. Yeah, um, but the thing no. is that my stalkers are all rad. Yeah. Oh, yay, yay. Um, <laughs> so I have observed from afar um, you doing lots of really cool stuff this year. One yeah. of which is like, you know, jumping back into like leather events. I, I mm. got wind of like some kind of title or something. I'm sure you'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so the foreshadowing, the foreshadowing. Um, so what is this all about? Because I know you can't do anything big without like your brilliant brain sucking out the like, this is the life lesson moral of the story. <laughs> and I'm going to share it with everyone else. So what is it? Let's get into well, it. I should say first for folks who are just like, what the fuck does that mean? Because I'm going to talk about like a leather event. People are like, what the hell is that? So you have to understand that most people who are involved in kink or BDSM are some flavor of dork, nerd, or dweeb. Like like 99% of us have that flavor. We might be also cool kids because I would fall squarely. Because in high school, I was like one of the cool theater kids. But I also was a nerd because I went to nerd school. And so when you get into sub communities and you get into lifestyles, it's a lot of nerds and geeks because if you're going to dedicate that amount of time, energy, effort, and focus to one topic, like, I don't know, spanking or whatever, there's got to be something in your brain that's like geeky, nerdy, weird in that way. And so, of course, when you get geeks and nerds wanting to do shit, they want to do shit in front of other people. They want to talk about it. And this evolved from smaller gatherings into conferences. And a kink conference probably has stuff like classes, probably has stuff like meetups, almost definitely has stuff like um, parties where people can go and get their freak on a bunch of a, in front of a bunch of other people. These often happen at like huge hotels. You'll have a hotel that's sold out only to like, you know, 700 perverts all doing pervert shit. You add to that level uh, the leather community, which is, you know, this is debatable and people will fight and die on, on this hill, but... Leather community specifically refers to people not just who are leather fetishists per se, but it also encompasses the sort of um, protocol, etiquette, formality that people who are into leather dig. Uh, The uniforms or the lack thereof, the straps and harnesses, 
the boots, all of these things that encompass that leather look, but it also encompasses a leather lifestyle. And under that sort of rubric and under that umbrella, you have things like leather contests, which started off as just bar contests at, at, at gay bars, right? There would be like a gay leather bar where you'd have like hot gay men doing hot gay shit. And then they started having leather nights where they would have a contest for like Mr. Eagle. And then 10 guys would get up and whoever was the hottest would be Mr. Eagle for that year. And they'd get a little patch and then they would compete against other bars. And this grew until eventually you had the international Mr. Leather contest where hot gay men would come from all over the world uh, from a whole contest system, not dissimilar to Miss America and Miss Universe and all of those things. It's a similar thing where you will have local contests that then feed into regional contests. Mm -hmm. That's how I explained it to my daughter because we lived in (laughs) Chicago where IML was and and she was in the car with me. I was, I think I might've been dropping off Ken at IML and she was like, she probably was eight or nine or something, maybe 10 at the time. And she's like, Wow. First she goes, wow, they all look like <laughs> firemen. Because like when you're at IML, it's like the, from blocks around, there's just yeah. like gay leathermen everywhere. Yeah. And, then, and then she's like, well, what is it? And I said, I'm like, okay, so you know, like Miss America? I'm like, right. you know, Miss America for like the gay leather community. And she was like, yeah. cool. You know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so you have like this this subculture within the subculture. And it was something when I first heard about it, I said, okay, well, that's nice. You know, you, right. you, you get to have camaraderie, you get to get a sash, you get to be pretty. And it made so much sense for the men's community. And then of course, after a while, women were like, well, we want to do this too. So you had international Ms. Leather, which uh, is not as huge and as supported financially, for example, as international Mr. Leather. So you already have that gap. Unsurprisingly, even within the queer communities, there's a gap between what cisgender men are doing and making and earning financially and, you know, queer women, right? Uh So you've always had this sort of gap between the two. And when I was still living in San Francisco, there had not been a local uh, Miss San Francisco leather contest for a long time, even though there had been Mr. San Francisco leather and then Mr. San Francisco leather consistently, whoever won that would go on to compete at international Mr. Leather representing the Bay area. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in 2000, uh, 2009, I was sitting in the local kink bar because not bar, um, coffee, coffee bar, coffee house. Um, Wicked Grounds, which is the pervert coffee house in San Francisco, because of course there's a pervert coffee house. And someone came in and was handing out flyers and was like, oh, uh, Miss San Francisco Leather Contest has been started up again after a decade of being fallow. And I was like, why are they doing that? What is the fucking point of that? And immediately three people were like, Mo, you should run. You should run for Miss San Francisco Leather. I was like, why? Why should I fucking run? I'm not even sure what the purpose of this is. And I'll tell you, girl, that's why I ran. Because I was curious as to what the fuck it was about and why people did it. And I said, this is the best way for me to find out. I had like less than a month to prepare. And uh, so I just was like, well, I had to get together like an auction basket because you have to do fundraising. That's a big aspect of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's about donating money to charity. So I had to, you know, get all this stuff together. And so I did. And then I ran for Miss San Francisco Leather and won that contest. and was like, shit. All right. Well, I guess... You know, now that I won that, it was my obligation as the title holder to go run for international Miss Leather. And I fucked around and won that contest, too. So I was like, boom, now I'm international Miss Leather. And at the time, I was already traveling all over the world, doing a lot of teaching, doing a lot of presenting. 
And so it fit well into my lifestyle. Fast forward to, uh, I had left the Bay Area around 2010, 2011, was living in New York and was trying to get my life together and figure out how to make a living here. What I wanted to do was to be able to dedicate my life to this. I was like, I want to be a presenter. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a writer. And I fought so hard to make that happen. The roadblock I kept running up against, particularly in the leather community, was the idea that everything you do should be for the community for free. That you are committing an act of service. And it was crass and disrespectful, actually, to ask for money. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. If someone has spent 14, 18 hours building a flogger, for example, you're not going to walk up to that person and say, how much did that leather cost you? $10? Great. Here's $10. When they're charging you $250 for that flogger. What you're paying for is the time, energy, effort, and expertise it takes to fucking make that goddamn flogger, right? Uh, uh But my talent, energy, and expertise is not something you should pay me for because I should give it to you for free. And over the course of a decade, I got slowly worn down, blacklisted from events, um, told I was uh, disrespectful, told I would never, ever darken the door of, of several events, got ripped off by a couple of people who promised they would just cover my expenses and then didn't. Um, mm. So it became an issue. And probably around uh, just before I met uh, the spouse Meister, I started hearing that I had retired. Right. Like I would post something and someone was like, oh, I thought you retired. I heard you retired. I heard you weren't doing community shit anymore. And I was like, where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from the fact that so many people had decided that I was persona non grata because God forbid I should fight for presenters to be paid that they just were like, well, she's not teaching anymore. And it's like, no, I'm not teaching for free. Right. And. There were again, on top of that, a couple of big community meltdowns where. Uh, For example, a leather bar in the Pacific Northwest, the Eagle in Portland, um, which is one of the most established, respected leather institutions in America, invited a um, drag queen whose whole act is blackface. Yes. And I thought it was something that I didn't think this would be a problem, but it was a problem and ripped through my social life like a fucking tornado. The number of white people who refused to my face to step up and say, you know what? Blackface is wrong. And that's all I wanted people to say. You know, I had, I had, you know, my, my, my people I've worked with closely, people whose names are next to mine on things that will never go away, declined to step up to the plate and just put out a post that said blackface is wrong. Wow. You know, Leatherman I had respected for decades. I found out that they thought it was funny and they thought that I was overreacting. Other people of color, um, for example, there's plenty of black people who aren't American who don't get mm-hmm. what the problem is because they don't know about that history. And so, you know, some other black people would say, well, we don't see the problem. And then I was the one who was freaking out and overreacting. So that was another sort of push towards the margins. And I was like, why am I kicking and struggling to stay here? And then I met the spouse meister and then it was sort of like, okay, well, he really wants to be involved in the community. So I was pushing to try to get us to do stuff. And then I was just sort of discouraged because a lot of leather events are not sexually centered anyway. It's about protocol. It's about talking about stuff. It's about, you know, whatever. And so there are entire leather events, for example, that don't have dungeon play space. 
that I've been to a couple of times. And so the focus seemed to have leaned away from that. Uh And I was really focused on our relationship, focused on doing that, discouraged. And so it wasn't like I was saying no, but nothing was really coming up. I was working on trying to sort of educate through social media a lot. You know, thanks to you, I started trying to at least get like a few videos up there on TikTok and I got my podcast rolling. So at least I can say, look, even if I'm not actively active in your face, I'm, my shit is out there to be found by those who need it. Uh-huh. And so I felt like that was a step in the right direction. And then last last winter, last I guess it would have been la- winter, I guess late winter, I got a call from a woman who I've known for a very long time from the San Francisco community, Tomo, who I knew from uh, running for Miss San Francisco Leather and then running for International Miss Leather. Tomo was like at the heart of the leather community there and had been for years. And she called me and said, you can't talk to anyone about this, but I'm going to be taking over the International Master Slave Contest and Weekend, and my inaugural year will be 2023, and I want you to come and keynote. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it was like that fucking like Corleone moment where he's like, every time I think I'm out, they keep pulling me back in. And I said, you know what, Tomo, because I love and respect you and the work you've done, I'll do this. But my assumption was that it was going to be the same shit, Uh that I was going to walk in there and feel again as though um, I was not slavey enough. Because this is the thing. Once you have a subculture that is established um, sort of its ground rules, as it were, there is often going to be a who is the most, Uh right? And in the leather community, it's who is the most masterful, who is the most slavish, who is, what does slavery look like? And you start getting these cookie cutter ideas of what dominance is, what submission is, what a master is, what a slave is. And I never fit into any of those boxes. And it was a struggle for the first few years I was exploring because I thought, I truly believed that I could not be the type of slave who was perfect in silence and who uh, uh, was the invisible will of their dominant that I was not to be a slave, right? I figured out that that was all bullshit and that the type of slave I was was the type of person I was with slavery added to it, not that I had to twist myself into fucking knots to be that. But that also meant that I was like the unplaceable puppy at the end of the line for 15 years. Yeah. I had great relationships, but I was never, you know, formally collared. None of those things came to me. And a lot of that was because I had other shit in my life I needed to get together. When you're an active alcoholic, probably not the best time. (laughs) And then when you're getting sober and getting your life together, still not the best time, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of emotional shit going into this weekend. And I also had the (laughs) added pressure of being one of those people who does not write speeches. And... So I, I've never written a speech in my life. I've given many, but I don't write them. I come up with three things I want to say. I let them marinate. And then I get up on stage and I channel, you know, whatever spirits, whoever's in the room, whatever. And I just say the shit. And so I was like, am I going to get up on stage and be like vomiting bitterness and bile? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck these hoes. You have been shitting on me for the past. Like, I legitimately was like, that could be what comes out is this anger and this frustration that the community has really just pooped on me and not just me, a bunch of other people, et cetera. Uh-huh. 
So I get to this conference and first and foremost, just the vibe when I first walked in was amazing because the first of the first maybe 20 or so people I saw, more than half of them were not white. And this was very unusual yeah. for a kink event period, for a leather event, definitely, for a master slave event, no. Wow. No. And so I was like, huh, because Tomo, who is white, had expressed to me her frustration with the uniformality of the scene in general. You know, she laid out for me the shit that she was doing in order to uh, create a safe space for various groups and individuals. Uh -huh. And unfortunately, when white people like say they're going to do shit and then show me their work and I see evidence of their work, my commitment is to support them. And like the fortunate thing is that rarely fucking happens. So <laughs> I get to sit on my ass a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then like when someone steps up, you're like, fuck, fuck. All right. Yeah. You know, and so to walk up to that hotel and see a bunch of visibly brown faces was the first clue I had that this shit was not the same shit to which I had become accustomed. The opening ceremony for the event started with uh, 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 a land dedication and uh, uh, a group of indigenous people doing a thing. And I've seen that before. Mm -hmm. But what I had not seen before was 12 indigenous people, all from various uh, representat representing various groups, who did an invocation, like they did their invocation. They didn't do like the sort of adapted, broken up. They did what indigenous people do when they are trying to create a space for mm -hmm. healing, right? Like they did that prayer and they bought that shit in the room. And like, you know, my 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 beloved spousemeister, who was a, a musician and like a sound genius, lost his mind because he was like, what they're doing with sound and with their voices is like magic to me. And so he, after this opening ceremony was like, I got to find the woman who did this invocation. And half an hour later, they're like forehead to forehead crying in each other's faces because of the connection they had to music. This is wow. an old white woman from Austria who was raised by Nazis and an indigenous woman. They would never have met under any other circumstances, but here. And so you had this amazing coming together, like boom, day one. I was like, holy shit, some shit is going on here, right? And then um, you had uh, uh, the, there's a something called the Carter Johnson Leather Library, which is these two women who are basically the grandmas of the leather community. And they have started years ago, started a library which is basically a way to save this history of alternative sexuality that is frequently just thrown away or burned. And this was the first time the library now has like five different annexes all over the US. So now there's like all these people across the country who are dedicated to preserving and gathering this history. And all of them were gathered together and had this room where you had people from all over the United States, you know, sharing their history and sharing their stories. I was like, God, that's amazing. And I didn't personally myself attend any classes, but I was like, uh, you know, I got to do this keynote. I got to keep my shit together. You know, there were some people there who I had not seen in a long time who I was fine with that. <laughs> you know, I was like, if I don't see you again, that's cool. I don't you know. It's not an issue. Um, and then I started to soften, though, because I started having people coming up to me and saying, oh, you might not remember me, but I saw you do a class in like 2009 and two th in 2001 in like 93 whatever 93 would be too early but like 99 
And it really changed the way I thought about blah. And so I started to get these reminders, A, of the fact that I've been doing this for a few minutes. And B, shit that I said that I had no way even to recollect impacted folks. Like I had no idea. And it started to land. I was like, wow. So despite the fact that I feel like I'm yelling into the dark with my podcast or maybe no one cares if I'm in the community or out, I've already done a lot of work that has helped people. And that shit turns me on. Like that, that fucking gets me hard. That's what I want to know is that I did something that mattered to someone else. Like yeah. that's my fucking food right there. And so I started to get those, those little morsels you know, by the, by the, by, by, by the first day, by just getting there by the second day, I was just like, Oh my God. And so that Saturday, um, there was a, uh, uh, they had two different big fundraising meals. One was a brunch. that was a, uh, a Q and a with, with Mo Williams. And, you know, I get to interview by Tomo, who was the host of the conference. And it's a very fun sort of life, lighthearted thing. And it was really great and delightful. You can also uh, hear that part on my podcast. It was posted, I think, last week. Um, so that was really fun and really awesome and really great. And then I had the keynote coming that Sunday morning. And still by Sunday, I was I was really plugged back into who I was at these events. Like, part of me that I had forgotten because it's not that it's not that I'm bullshitting. It's not that I have a character that I'm putting on, mm-hmm. but there's an aspect of myself that's more out there at these events. It's just you know I think we're all sort of multifaceted creatures, totally. and some facets turn to the light more readily than others. And who I am as a leather woman, as a slave, as a submissive, is not necessarily who I walk around when I'm going to the fucking rib shack, right? Right. So to be able to have that aspect of myself like in full force was amazing. And then, you know, now it's Sunday morning. I've been soaking in this amazing energy. Um, You know, I'm getting up on stage. I'm looking out at the faces of like, you know, my leather mom and my husband and owner and, you know, uh, 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 our, our, the, the woman we have now welcomed into our leather family and all of this other shit. And I just started talking and, um, I wish I could, I I can't quote myself because I'm very bad at that. And I actually haven't listened to it all the way through again, because I hate listening to my voice. (laughs) But apparently I said some shit because like within 15 minutes into the speech, like half the room was in tears. Like people just broke down, like sobbing into their scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. I and I, I have seen you speak, even you know when you maybe you weren't as emotional or like in that place as. And yeah, <laughs> I can, I can see that you could, you could a whole ballroom like water it was, floating. It yeah, was and then I, I was moved to, and then I was like, you know, and this is this and that. But then I specifically addressed the people of color in the room. Mm-hmm. And specifically spoke to the black folks in the room and specifically, you know, was like, this was not something, this was not who I saw. This was not where we were 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, And I talked about some of my own pain and the shit that really fucked me over and feeling pushed out and, 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 and wondering why I was still here. Sort of the through line was the why. Like, why did I, how, why did I get here? Like, why am I here in the first place? And then why did I stay? And then why did I come back Mm -hmm. after sort of this slow fade? And 
by the end of the speech, I was just like, okay, I think I said what I needed to say. And this is when shit got crazy. I came off of stage and immediately was surrounded by four other black women. Mm-hmm. And, and they all were like, you know, in that full raw open space. And they all said, we, you are our why. We stayed here because we saw who you were. You were the you were the woman who was here for us because I talked in my speech about seeing, you know, Jill Carter and Vi Johnson when I first came into the scene and saying, well, if they're here, I'm going to stick around, too, because there's, there's not a lot of people looking like me out in the scene in the Bay Area back in the mid late 90s. Uh-huh. I, I had seen at that point maybe two other black people. So to be at this event where there were dozens just in that one room alone, and then to have like black women surround me and hold me and say, not just, not just you're okay, but like you matter. Mm. And you matter to me in my life as a leather woman, as a black woman. After I had shared previous rejections from other black women in the scene for various reasons. You know, and I talked about that, like there had been a, a black women's tea group that I had been a part of that was, it broke my heart open because when I first came in the scene, there weren't enough of us to have tea together. And then after about a year of meeting, maybe not even a year, I was voted off of the black women's tea group because I was harming black people by talking about race play in, in the kink context. And apparently the number of women involved in this group who thought that I was toxic was higher than the women who did not. Wow. And that wound was so deep because, you know, I mean, for fuck's sake, like to have people who look like you tell you to, you know, like not even to your face, just to dismiss you as toxic. Uh That's what works so hard to release the guilt and shame that it was bad. It was bad. And so the healing that came about by having these younger women say to me that I was there for them. Like I was that just destroyed, it just destroyed me in the best possible way. Here you are listening to a podcast. You know what that tells me about you? That you are really into oral pleasures and Dipsy has them for you. No, no, not O-R-A-L, A-U-R-A-L, you know, like your ears, like here. I mean, actually, Dipsy has that too, if that's what you're into. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Their immersive soundscapes and realistic characters bring scenarios to life, like there's stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and steamy hookups. And Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, too. Plus, over half are voice acted by people of color. Oh, and they've got celebrities, too. Get ready to hear Sharonis J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook like you have never imagined. And not only is new content added every week, they also bring the variety with soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read too. With Dipsy, you can let your imagination run wild and spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with someone special. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com. 
dot com slash sunny. That's S-U-N-N-Y. Yeah, that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories dot com slash sunny. That's dipsy stories dot com slash sunny. You know, there's more to life than just vanilla sex with one person. So let's talk about it. Hi, guys. This is Cammie. And this is Nikki. And, and we, we are Double, Double Team, Team Podcast. Are you DTF? Come join the Double Team fam every Thursday anywhere you listen to podcasts. Bring an open mind, your favorite butt plug, and let's talk kink, non-monogamy, and sexuality. Sex parties, threesomes, maybe a little bit of knife play, all things we know and love. We hope this is a safe space for you to learn, explore, and share some laughs with us along the way. And come be our bestie. Connect with us on social media. Find us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and more. All of these links are available on our website, doubleteamedpodcast.com. We are so glad that you're here and we can't wait to get to know you. Don't forget, wear condoms. Have you ever felt judged for your sexual choices or your sexuality? Ever been called a slut? Whether you're in politics, a parent, a sex worker, or just wearing a short dress, people make assumptions about you, your character, and your ability to be a competent professional based on who you did last night. My name is Nicoletta Heidegger, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist, and I am here to invite you to join me in taking back the word slut on my podcast, Sluts and Scholars. Sluts and Scholars is an interview-style podcast that features diverse professionals who also like and value sex, or at least talking about it. Join in as we discuss how to navigate sexuality in this culture by having conversations that will help you talk smart and fuck smarter. With a wide array of sex-positive and shame-free topics, there is something for you to elevate your pleasure. Sluts and Scholars is a proud member of the Pleasure Podcast Network, and you can find out more info, subscribe, and listen at slutsandscholars.com. And so the healing that came about by having these younger women say to me that I was there for them, like I was that just destroyed, it just destroyed me in the best possible way. Oh my goodness. Wow. It was it was completely it reformed my whole perspective, like in, that, in in those minutes with them holding me. Wow! Wow! And 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 one of these women was a woman with whom I had had beef for a while, and so like she came up and was like, "Wow!" And I was like, "Oh shit! Is this going to be healed too?" I was like, "Girl, it's nuts!" And so and then after like after this like bombshell ritual, we're literally like. I'd say probably a third of the room was still there. Mm. Just waiting. Like to, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, I have to say something to you, but we need to like, just witness this. So like there was this cluster of black women in the center centered and just doing our thing while everyone else just stood back and held space for us. When do you see that shit happening? I've never seen that. Wow. I've never seen that. Wow. 
Yeah. Two, two quick things for the, for the American fuckers listening along who have not had the pleasure of being, uh, listening to a Melina episode or Melina's podcast. And you're like race play husband was raised by Nazis. What I'll put in the show notes, <laughs> the other couple of episodes so you can catch up and you know, most podcasts and all that stuff. And like, you know, because <laughs> they're probably like, wait, I missed an episode somewhere. What's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. put, them in, put it in the description, link them up. But as I hear this, you know, and and knowing you and and looking back at the impact that you've had, even before I've known you, like just looking back at your history in this community, it's like you are one of those rare people. And I hate to I hate fucking catchphrases and, and shit and cliches, but it's kind of true like that, like ahead of your time trailblazer, like you were saying the stuff and and uh humanizing the things and living the things yeah. and recognizing the things that so many people just yeah. weren't there yet you know and it's like it, it, you know it's one of those things like you're out there all on your own people are like you can't come to tifa you know and it took it took a minute for folks to catch up and to it really sure see your value and like how again i the cliche but it's true like ahead of your time it, in a lot of senses that you were when, when it came to this kind of stuff. So who it was, it was, I have to say part of what gave me hope was you're like nudging me to go onto TikTok because it's not without its bullshit, but the fact that the majority of people, non kinky people reacted by saying this is consensual. What's the problem? Like that was a shift that I have seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Right. Like that was not how it was 10 years ago. Uh -huh. And to have, to have other kinky folks say, well, I don't do it, but I need to actually support your right to do it is also a sea change because the judgmental nature of perverts is well known, right? Like kinky people are even worse than non kinky people when it comes to judging kinks. Um, getting the support from folks on TikTok was amazing because it was not just kinky people, right? And kinky people, super judgmental, super awful. Oh yeah, the whole idea, like I, I all of my non-kinky friends, when I talk about race play and talk about getting shit for it, they were like, well, why is that different than, you know, pretending to be a schoolgirl? Like that's also kind of fucked up, right? And I'm like, yeah, it is, it is. However, Everyone seems to think that's okay because, you know, we've been watching Britney Spears videos for so long. And prior to that, watching movies like Lolita or Pretty Baby or Taxi Driver, where that was okay. And so we've been broken to assume that, like, you know, fe fetishizing little girls is okay. But uh, actually talking about the issues of race and racism and how that impacts on sexuality is not. So holy shit. So I'm fucking at this conference after years of feeling like, not like just the pariah, but like not even a part of and, 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 and not useful, man. Like this is the thing that I try to explain to people. If I feel like I'm not doing any good, I don't want to be somewhere. I'm not a consumer. Like I can't just be there and consume. I have to be doing something. That's my whole shtick. So after this amazing magical moment with these women, I was just sort of like, like, I, I, it was the first time, you know, you hear like these woo people talk about like connection to earth and sky and like just running energy. And I was like, I know what they're talking about now. 
And so at this point now, there were like maybe 50 people standing in a line that just snaked around the fucking ballroom. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And so the next person came up and embraced me and was in tears and the next person and the next. And I had seen before the woman who is my leather mom, Vi, do this, where she just held in her presence person after person and just poured love and everything else. And I was just like, bitch, I can't, I don't even know how people do that. After the fifth person, I'd just be like, goodbye, we're done. I need like a beverage. I need to sit down and get out of my face. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I realized was that when I'm in this flow, it wasn't even about that. It was literally just about these energetic creatures who were coming up to me and showing me their heart. And the energy that I took from that, like every person, I got a little bit higher. Like I felt a little bit more open. I felt more ready to hear what the next person had to say or share. And, and it was electrifying. And I realized that my being alive and existing helps other people. I don't have to do anything, right? Like I don't have to write that speech. I just have to say the words in my head at that moment. I don't have to be this particular type of submissive in order to fulfill my own destiny. I can just be who I am. And that's what people see, right? Like I didn't know people saw me. Mm. I had no idea. Like, how would you know? And then if one person says to you, you make a difference, like there's this whole sort of um, advertising trope that for every person who says something, there are a hundred people who don't, mm-hmm. you know, um, like every, like if you fill out a card to say, Hey, thank you for your, for your service, Olive Garden lady. There have been a hundred other people that Olive Garden lady was really nice to and did very well, but those people won't, you know, so you have to extrapolate that out. And so after like this people after people, and this is the thing, it was brown people, it was white people, it was, you know, people who had just turned old enough to attend this event, and someone who was like, over 80 years old, you know, like it was it was this broad spectrum of humanity who were all coming up and telling me that I mattered. Wow. And and I had helped them. And I was fucking destroyed. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know. I had no idea. Wow. And it was so, it was, it was not just what I needed. It was obviously what everyone else needed. Uh Right. And so to have these people say, you know, yeah, you, we need you here. You need to come back. Your words and your presence is important and, and vital to the health of this community. You know, like I, I hadn't felt that in years, man, like Oof. in years. Wow. It was so much. And it was so, especially because I, you know, have had recent difficulties with, with birth family shit. And part of my withdrawal also is not trusting people to have my back, mm. you know, and realizing that the concept of chosen family, which might sound easy to say, and everyone thinks they know what that is. But this is what I shared. I was like, look, I realize that the leather community is very much like family and much like family. They're people you don't want to fucking deal with. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, like 
Chosen family doesn't mean that everyone is perfect. Chosen family means that, yes, there's your favorite cousin, but there's also creepy Uncle Larry that everyone knows not to leave the kids with, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's everybody in there. And so, you know, part of what I said, I think, was that I wanted to also acknowledge that. Is it not all of you as my family are there because you're making my life easier? Some of you are there and you're making my life more difficult. And that's part of what family means. Mm -hmm. And having that trust and being able to look into the eyes of hundreds of people and see that my existence matters was some shit. Whew. It was so huge and it continues to be huge, you know, like as I'm sitting with this and realizing that part of what, you know, and then, oh, then the final, the final devastation was, you know, talking to the woman who's like my leather mom and her saying to me, the gift that you gave me today was seeing that I can now sit on the porch and have my tea and know that the torch has been passed. Ooh. And I was like, ah, oh, oh, fucking, like, to know that I'm part of that tradition in that lineage, essentially, and to know that like black women are at the center of this community and holding it down, mm -hmm. generation after generation, that is not bullshit. And this is part of what I said, you know, to the black folks in the room. I was like, don't let them take this from us. This is ours more than theirs even. Mm -hmm. like, our DNA is carrying some shit that they don't have. And it's our responsibility to be true to ourselves, to get our needs met, even though the default world might be telling us that we're a fucking mess because we're playing in this arena. You know, I said being in a black body and doing SM and doing master slave relationships doesn't make it any more fucked up, but it does make it more textured in a lot of ways. It's a different texture and flavor for us. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we can see ourselves reflected in other folks that we admire and we think are doing the shit and living their lives authentically is a fucking gift. And, and, and the fact that now there's so many of us that I can look around and say, oh my God, yeah, we're here. We're here and this is ours and you don't get to push us to the margins and you don't get to be centered and you have to share. Because if yes. you don't, we're just going to take it back without you and we're going to be way more awesome than you in your little flavorless corner over there. So enjoy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Bro, it was a lot. It was, it's still a lot. It's still a lot. Man, I have like, ch I have like little chills, little, little hairs, little. Yeah. Damn. So like, I can't even imagine everything that was in you and all of the, like, how long, how long were you like a love scramble, you know, after that? <laughs> or are you still? It's, it's still ongoing, I will say, because people are like, uh, con drop. And I was like, I, I said, I think I had con bounce. Like, I, I, I sort of landed and then was like, choo. And what's interesting is that I had two days where I was like, kind of just general malaise sort of sick and people like, oh, con drop, con drop. Like, no, it's not con drop. It's not drop. It's, it's, I think what happened was like, I just had a, a what is that called? Like a breaker flips. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You just I, the, like, I, it was like a psychic breaker flip. It was like, you need to get offline because you cannot pull down this much energy 
for nine days straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and, and so I was just like, okay, okay, let's like, take a step back and breathe and still enjoy it and still live in it. But the, to have that much adulation poured into you, like, I was like, I don't know how people, I don't know how people who are legit rock stars do it because that amount of energy just from like a few hundred people was a lot. And I'm like, multiply that by like, you know, a Lizzo concert. <laughs> and I yeah. was just like, you know, I was like, I guess I just have to get bigger. I just need to be bigger and bigger and bigger so I can embrace and <laughs> re recycle all of this love and energy because that's what we need right now. Mm -hmm. That's what I need right now. That's what I need to, you know, like being the change I need to see in the fucking world. What I want to see is people accepting that much love. Yeah. And I didn't realize until I sort of came down off of that breaking point that it's really hard for me. I am not good at being awesome. I am not good at accepting praise. I am not adept at fully realizing my own uh, potential for power and strength. Like I'm just shit at it. And it makes me sad because if I'm bad at it, I can only imagine that people who don't have all of that adulation poured into them at any time must struggle with it when it does come. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like knowing, again, it's like, you know, you can't really see yourself the way right. that people appreciate you. But like listening, you know, of course, there's part of me that's like, whoa, magic, hair's on the back of my neck stand up. But the other part of me is like, well, duh, you're Melina, of course. You know? <laughs> what does that even mean though, man? Like, I'm, the things that like, I, are you ever not your worst self? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm am I ever way. not? Yeah. Am I ever not like alcoholic living in hoarder level conditions? Um, ready to drink herself to death. Like that's, that's my baseline. Am I ever like the poor kid who got grounded for stealing laundry quarters so she could play Ms. Pac-Man, you know, like these are the things that my soul holds on to. But every once in a while you get that glimpse into the sort of screaming void of awesome where you're just like, Oh my God, I'm so cool. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> the portal is closed. I can no longer see it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel so fortunate to to have that glimpse into that and and having just started just last week with my first sessions doing work as the the kink doula um I realized that my ability to say yeah I'm fucking awesome and kink and SM is part of that and let's see where your kinky freakiness can be of assistance to you is amazing already. Just having these conversations with people is, it's so educational for me just to see how much people's faces light up when you can tell them about themselves, when you can just be like, oh, okay, so you identify as a bottom. So that means you like to do stuff for people. So how, how has that helped you to avoid being taken advantage of? Right. So like, Having someone realize that they're being submissive actually means that they have to be better about their boundary maintenance uh -huh. you know? and having them realize that that has empowered them like haha -ha, light bulb moment. I was like, of course, like to me, that's obvious. Uh -huh. But like if you are not accustomed to that thought process and you listen to the rest of the world, then you're being submissive means that you're weak 
and you have no agency. Yeah. And I'm there to tell you, I am a black woman who identifies as a submissive and a slave. If I can take those words and I can see how they are powerful for me in this relationship, that's fucking dope as hell. Uh Right. Like I was talking to my therapist a couple of weeks ago and I was telling her about like my propensity to martyr myself on the knives of like always do for other people. You know, and and so, of course, my mom came up and, you know, being the oldest child and having um, to be a breadwinner. Right. Like I started working in film and television when I was six years old and my money went to help support the household and and seeing Uh, kink and BDSM and being submissive in a structured relationship where it is important and valuable that I take care of myself first, Mm. right? And my partner is perpetually acknowledging my work and continuously ad nauseum to exhaustion telling me how fucking amazing I am. You know, I was like, this is actually a harm reduction model for people with pathologies that maybe would get them abused in other scenarios. Yes, yes, yes. My therapist was like, oh, I I, she's like furiously writing to them. Like, yeah, write that shit down. Yes. (laughs) No, I like, I cannot agree with you more. It's like, you know, I, I even look back at, at, you know, because I'm a late in life kinkster. And yeah. I look back at like, oh, shit, like all of the, the really abusive situations that, mm-hmm. you know, I say I got myself into, but I don't want that to be like it was my fault or something. But you know, that that's no. just the way I look at myself, you know. Um, but like, I'm like, yeah, I I was trying to play out some of this need Mm -hmm. for this, but I didn't realize I had options and I could do it in a an intentional, safe container. I just found the most outrageously unstable situation I could find probably subconsciously Mm -hmm. because it was exciting to play that role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Mm, underline highlight that like tell it to your therapist again I wholeheartedly agree yeah so many people so many people play out these psychodramas in ways that aren't safe or healthy and my thing is consent matters and it has to be consensual with yourself right first and foremost you have to consent to doing this exploration to saying okay I'm submissive okay I'm dominant what if I'm a sadist what if I really want to hurt people um this is part of the, like, all I, I, I swear to God, I would love to be able to talk to, like, serial killers, like, specifically sadistic serial killers and say, do you think, the perfect example is BTK, right, Dennis Rader. Because yeah. dude started off just doing shit that you and I would not blink at. And he was caught, quote unquote, by his wife in women's lingerie with makeup on, doing self-bondage and taking pictures of himself. hmm and his wife was like freaked out and they were going to get a divorce. And he was like, I promise I'll never do it again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now that whole psychodrama was part of his murdering. And my thing is, if he could have just done that with someone who was like, yes. this is fine, dude. No yeah. one cares. You want to pretend to tie, you want to tie someone up and, 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 and have them, you know, like lay there, like they're unconscious and fuck them. Yeah, let's do that. Like right. would the people have been redirected? Because I can tell you from the other end, I have met at least two people in the course of my being in the scene that I am personally certain if they did not find us, we would have been reading about them on the news. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny that you bring this up because I'm like, 
Motherfucker, is that another thing we have in common? Like, I used to be like a serial killer historian. I did serial killer <laughs> tours. And I was really into, like, you hear a lot of true crime people now are just into, like, and then she was murdered. It's like, no, yes. no, I'm more into the psychology. Like, what yes. has made a person this way? What different factors in their lives? And yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, and it's not, again, it's not that black and white. It's not like if every serial no. killer just did some bondage, we'd all be fine. Um, but no. is it a factor in some? absolutely in some I, of them I, and is I, it a big factor in some maybe yeah i think it's got to be i mean his cases in particular because of the fact that he, that it was an escalation mm-hmm. from his self-bondage from his own photography from his own drawings from his own fantasies you know other people had different types of escalation but oof there's this one there, what is what there's one youtube channel that has it's one of these murder porn channels and it's and it's basically like um what is it? Interrogations and interviews. And they have then a psychologist, a criminologist and a therapist do commentary. So the voiceover guy will like read the commentary and they're like criminal psychologist says, body language specialist says, cop says, you know, going through like what you're watching. And I was like, this is amazing character study shit because just in terms of acting, like there's so many things that people do subconsciously or consciously to try to divert attention, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, yeah. Well, what was amazing to me about this case in particular was the idea that like, yeah, he didn't start off wanting to kill people. He started off with these fantasies. And the only way he knew to get people in the positions he wanted was murder. Yeah. Because who would ever want? To? I'm like, I don't know, me? Like, there's, I don't, like, yeah. hundreds of us out yeah. there. Yeah. Like, I got friends who, like, have built Dexter rooms in their basement, yes. get a bucket of fake <laughs> blood, like, have a good old time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... Uh, you know, a lot of these folks will say when they see these serial killers will say like, um, oh, you know, it's because of the, the, the kinky, deviant, perverted thoughts that they went on to murder people. And it's like, have you ever stopped to think about it's because they couldn't express those perverted kinky thoughts that they convinced themselves they were monsters, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you have like cannibal fantasies. And you're just like, I don't know, whatever. And you can't even like say I have a cannibal fantasy. Then then your psychology might start folding in on itself. But if you can just be like, I have a cannibal fantasy and someone else is like, self-cannibalism, auto-cannibalism, is that? Or like stranger cannibalism, family cannibalism. What kind of cannibalism exactly? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you can yeah. talk to that person, you're going to step back for a moment and say, maybe I'm not a monster. And this is part of the reason why I, I'm, perpetually spewing shit on social media because if you can talk about that really fucked up shit in a way that shows other people that they're not getting piled on for it then maybe they come a step closer they might not ever say anything out loud but their psychological health has just been improved because they don't feel alone anymore Mm -hmm. right like it's it's a thing and it's you know i was i was talking to a potential client the other day and and they were talking about you know these fantasies that they had and i said you know, and they were sort of hesitant about bringing it up. And I said, look, I have a, an acquaintance of mine who committed an act of auto cannibalism at a kinky camp. So if you can think of something further than that in your mind, and she was like, wait, what? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I've had the same sort of conversations that it's like, they're like, how is that possible? I'm like, well, let's think. And then they're like, oh my God. Yeah. I guess you can do it safely, thoughtfully, you know, or not safe, you know, harm reduction, safe as possible. Cause exactly. shit can always go wrong, but you don't have to murder someone to get a little fly meat. Yeah. You do not. Yeah. You do not. No yeah. one has to die. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is part of why I'm super excited about being able to bring that to the rest of the world. So I was like, can I just be famous now? Because I just need my own TV show so I can just be like, you're fine. Right. <laughs> right. Like, let's brainstorm a way, a way that we can get you that without, you know, you having to do something that we're going to read about, you know, because like, <laughs> like we, you know, I, and I hate again, it's like, I don't know what it is. I think I am secretly attracted to cliches because I did come up with this and it's, if you can think it, you can kink it. You can't. There is always a way to figure so out how to do the really fucked up thing in a way that it mm-hmm. still feels fucked up, but it's not really fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are you enjoying the conversation? I know you are, but we got to take a break. This is the end of part one. To hear part two, well, come back next episode, or you do know in the podcast dimension, time is different. If it's any time after late April 2023, just go to the next episode in your podcast player. You don't have to wait. Time doesn't exist here. All right. See you on the other side for part two. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape. Well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.